This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. There are not many women mentioned in the Bible, and the few who are have amazing stories. Here are four women who are in Jesus' lineage. Tamar's story is confusing and messy. She was given to the firstborn son of Judah, Ur. Ur was evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord killed him. Tamar was given to Judah's second son, Onan. But he disobeyed his father and the customs of the time, so the Lord killed him too. Tamar was promised by Judah to be married to his third son, but she was told to go and be a widow in her father's home while the third son grew up. Unfortunately, Judah forgot about his promise to Tamar, and after some very confusing situations, Tamar was pregnant with Judah's twins. One of these twins, Perez, is the ancestor of Salmon, who married Rahab. Rahab was a harlot in the city of Jericho. The two Israelite spies making their way up the wall stayed the night in Rahab's room. Rahab protected them from the soldiers of the king of Jericho, who came to ask if she knew where the spies were. Rahab went and pleaded for her life and the life of those she loves, and because she protected the lives of the spies, God granted her request, and she was spared from the destruction of Jericho. Ruth married into the Israelite nation and was happy, but her happiness did not last. After a plague left her husband, father-in-law, and brother-in-law dead, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, told her two daughters-in-law to go back to their original families. Orpah left after much weeping. (laughs) Ruth, however, begged Naomi to let her stay. Ruth promised that where Naomi went, she would go, and where Naomi stayed, she would stay. Ruth and Naomi's travels led them to Bethlehem. They were very poor and had trouble finding things to eat, so Ruth began to follow behind the workers of Boaz's field. Boaz saw Ruth and was moved when he heard of her commitment to Naomi. Boaz, being a good man, did all that he could to take care of Ruth and Naomi according to the laws of the land. They were married and she bore Obed, the grandfather of King David. Bathsheba was the victim of lust. In those days, King David's army was at war with the Ammonites, and although tradition dictated that he should have gone with them, King David chose instead to stay at home. While strolling through his gardens, David spotted Bathsheba and wanted her for himself. David took Bathsheba, an already married woman, for his wife. David had her husband killed in battle, and although her story is wrapped in sin, Bathsheba was the mother of Solomon, 
who was one of the most famous kings of Israel. Each of these women's stories was surrounded by messy, confusing circumstances, and yet all four of them are featured in Jesus' lineage. God found favor in each of them, and their stories are redeemed by Jesus, their son. Oh, I love that video. Let's give it up for Swatcher's creative team. Wow. I cut my teeth on flannel boards in Sunday school. So it, when I see that stuff, it's like, it's just gone full circle. It's, it's just the way I learned it, you know? Someone taught the lessons and these characters kind of found their way off and on the board. And, uh, but I gotta tell you, I've never seen Bathsheba look like that before. That was, that was a new twist for me. <laughs> when I was a kid, I would oftentimes do what kids do. I would take out uh, more food that I could eat. And I remember my father saying to me, uh, hey, Robert, uh, your eyes bigger than your stomach? And I think that's the case today that uh, we have, we've really bit off more than we may be able to chew here in terms of telling these four stories of women in the Bible. It's a lot on our plate today. But the reason we do that is that all four women are a part of the genealogy of Jesus. And they have a lot in common. All four women have a real mess in their life. They have a lot to overcome. They're in a desperate situation. And all four women find that God is faithful and they call God Redeemer. They know God as a Redeemer. And they remind us that, gosh, we think our family tree is a mess or we think our family's crazy. Oh, man. The family of Jesus and his heritage has a lot to overcome. All kinds of messes, uh, all kinds of problems, and yet God meets each one of them. And so even though these stories are heavy, even these stories um, are going to be touching on some things that are sensitive and hard, they're really powerful stories of hope and redemption. So before we jump into these stories, we need to get our understanding of what redeem means. What does it mean to redeem? Redeem in its most basic definition is to buy back, to restore something to its original value and worth. Two main meanings, to buy back and to restore. Now in biblical times, um, many people were in slavery. They had no rights. And so to buy back or to redeem someone that was in slavery, you purchase the price for that person. And then to redeem them was once you bought them, you set them free. And that's the beautiful image of what God does for us, ultimately in Jesus Christ. God purchases us with his own precious blood. He redeems us and he sets us free. He sets us free from this bogus owner, this false self, this selfishness, the, the messes that we have done, the destructiveness, the things that have been done to us. God takes our life. He redeems us. He buys us. He sets us free from the effects and the power of whatever has enslaved us and held us in bondage. And he restores us into our original image, the likeness of God. 
about a month ago, uh, there was an incident on our church parking lot where uh, a parishioner backed into my car. And I wasn't there at the time, and so I was oblivious to this reality. And so I was driving home, and I noticed this note on my a paper on my windshield, and I thought it was probably some advertisement of some sort, so I just kept driving. I got home, and I uh, looked at the note, and it said, uh, I think I damaged your grill. Call me. Well, I called the guy up. Poor guy. He didn't realize it was the pastor that he had backed into. I thanked him for his honesty. Long story short, he set up this uh, repair shop in Ozark, and I'm here to tell you, I, I took my car down this week, and uh, I left it there. And um, the guy, the shop guy says, now I'm not going to be ordering you a new part. I thought they would. I looked at my grill and I was wanting to argue with the guy, really. Um, what do you mean? I mean, well, I'm gonna restore this. And I said, oh, oh okay. And I tell you, Friday when we picked that car up, um, my 2006 Honda's never looked better. <laughs> Uh, it is totally, totally restored. It doesn't look like it did before the damage was done. It looks better. And that's what God does in our lives. God takes the damages of our life. He takes the messes of our life. He takes what's happened to us. And he restores us. Not the way we were before. He makes us better. Now, that's what redeem means. Now, keep that in mind as we look at these four stories in the Bible. The first story is the story of Tamar and Judah. Tamar is living in a patriarchal society. It is a man's world totally. Women have very few rights. And men set up the marriages of their kids, particularly their daughters. And Judah, in this case, sets up the marriage of his son to Tamar. Now, I don't believe in this doctrine. The Bible doesn't endorse this doctrine. It just kind of says this is what was happening in the culture of the time, and God works in the culture. Although when my daughter was a teenager, I, I didn't think it was too bad of an idea, really, to be able to choose who my daughter was going to marry. And sometimes I think of my sons, how slow they are in finding somebody. Uh, maybe I should be a, a help to them, too. Uh, but back in the day, this is the way it was done. And so Tamar and... Um, marries Judah's oldest son and he dies and the second son gets also hit by lightning <laughs> and Judah makes this strange promise not really strange that he's under the obligation to care for this daughter-in-law he says when my young son grows up I'll, I'll call you back and he sends her away to her her biological family and he forgets about her he neglects her I don't know whether he never intended to keep his promise, but he doesn't. And so over the course of time, she realizes she has no rights. And Judah comes to pay a visit in her, her country and her neighborhood. And Judah lies with prostitutes. And so she pretends to be a prostitute. And out of that situation... She becomes pregnant with her father-in-law's kids, twins. What a mess. Now, word reaches Judah 
that Tamar is pregnant. He doesn't know that he was the one involved. And in a man's world, he says, let's bring her out and let's burn her. In a man's world, we shame the woman. She pays the price. And friends, this happens today more in the world in certain cultures and certain segments of religion than we care to think about. Everyone needs to do their homework and not check their brains at the door to appreciate the reality of these things still occurring. What happens here, though, is Judah finds out. They don't have DNA testing, but he finds out through a certain scheme of Tamar's that he's the father. And so what happens is he, he spares her life and he says she's more righteous than I you ever get caught up in conflict and fighting and circumstances and messes and you're always thinking about what the other person's role is but you don't realize I got a part in this too thank goodness that Judah comes to himself he spares Tamar's life the twins are God's way of giving a double portion and a blessing to a woman and in, in, in the way in which she found dignity and worth in that culture. And one of those kids is Perez who becomes the lineage that leads to Jesus Christ. Now, why do we tell this story? Why is this story a story of redemption that no matter what happens to us, even in an illicit sexual action within a very dysfunctional family, God brings redemption. Even in a time when a woman does not have any rights, even in a time where a woman is treated with injustice, God is the one that looks out after her with justice. And out of this family, God is able to correct Judah and um, he never takes advantage of the situation again. Now fast forward four or five generations and we come to the story of Rahab. Rahab is a prostitute. Do you see any theme in these stories? In many of the biblical stories, there is a real problem with the way in which, in which the gift of sexuality is utilized. And so it is in our world. And so it is that so many people are struggling with sexual identity because we do not have straight yet that our identity is ultimately found in God. We never get our relationships right with each other apart from knowing that our identity is in God. So, Rahab is a prostitute. She's a foreigner. And of all things, these two Jewish spies come to her town, Jericho. And she reaches out to them. She brings them refuge. She hides them from those who are trying to take their life. And because she is faithful in sparing their life, they are faithful in sparing her life. God is faithful. And so when destruction does come upon Jericho, what happens is that Rahab and her extended family is spared. And she goes back to Israel and she marries into the family a guy by the name of Solomon. 
Now, why is this story a story of redemption? Have you ever noticed sometimes that the people that spare your life, the people that rescue you in your time of trouble doesn't look like you necessarily, isn't necessarily of your ethnicity, isn't necessarily of your faith, maybe a foreigner, and yet they reach across the cultural divide and they help you out. It's amazing how God uses all kinds of different people, even maybe sometimes people not of our faith. And how this woman's life is spared as she rescues these two guys. And she marries into the faith and into the family. It's a story of redemption. How God takes a woman that a prostitution and gives her a family and a husband and children. And one of those children they have is Boaz. Now fast forward one generation to the story of Ruth. How does Ruth arrive on the scene? Well, there's a woman by the name of Naomi. Naomi and her husband and her two sons, they go to Moab, this strange country, because there's famine in Israel. And as they go there, the two sons, they meet these two Moabite women. Orpah, I always want to say uh, Oprah, but it's Orpah, and Ruth. And they, they marry the family. And everything's fine for a while. But Naomi's husband, the patriarch of the family, he dies. And then the two sons die. And so what's left in a man's world are three women, the mother-in-law and the two two daughter-in-laws. And the mother-in-law has no way of providing for them. And so she says to her daughter-in-laws, you better go back to your family, better go back to your place of origin. I can't, I can't produce a livelihood for you. And so Orpah leaves, but Ruth says, no, your people are going to be my people and your God is going to be my God. And so they go back to Bethlehem and she's working in the fields I love the practice here of the, this is biblical justice. In biblical justice, God cares for the poor. In biblical justice, God cares for the foreigner. In biblical justice and in the kingdom of God and in the community in which God sets up his laws, once the crop yields its first fruit, What's left is left for the gleaners. It's left for the poor. It's left for the foreigner who takes from the crop. And that is exactly what Ruth does. And there's a wealthy landowner by the name of Boaz, the son of Rahab, the prostitute, who watches and sees Ruth. And he's moved by her work ethic, and he's moved by the goodness and the care that, he ha that she has for her, her mother-in-law. And there's this really strange practice in their culture of a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer was a male who would marry a woman because she had been left out because she was widowed. 
And so there's a kinsman redeemer that's closer relative than Boaz who could marry Ruth but doesn't want to because it costs something to be a kinsman redeemer. And he doesn't want to take on the responsibility. But Boaz does. Boaz loves Ruth and Ruth loves Boaz and they marry and they have children. And the first son is a special comfort to his grandma Naomi in her old age. This poor old woman that's been so faithful is honored with a grandson. And they have another son who becomes the grandfather of King David. Now, why is this story important? It's a story of redemption. It's a story of how two women sticking together in desperate times, how we need each other and how we cling to each other and how we don't give up on each other. It's a story about how Ruth and her tenacity catches the eye of Boaz and a man that is good and generous, reflection of the goodness and the care of God. It's a story of how God uses all this, grief and death, and brings remarriage and hope and vitality to a family. And then there's the story of David and Boaz. David and Bathsheba, just seeing if you were listening. So David's not where he's supposed to be. David's a warrior king. His army is in battle. He's just back at the palace. He notices out from his perch this beautiful woman who's in her own private home, not aware that she's being seen. And he wants her, and he calls for her. And they sleep together. And she has a child. She's pregnant. David does whatever he can to try to convince Uriah to sleep with his wife when he's not supposed to because of the battle laws. He's a man of dignity. And so David kills, has Uriah killed in battle by removing the protection over him. And then once it's all done, He just pulls Bathsheba into the family and they marry. But the child doesn't make it. But they have another son whose name is Solomon. And Solomon becomes the wisest of all the kings of Israel. Now, why is this story in the Bible? tells us that the rich and the powerful many times try to get by with murder. That the rich and the power are not held to the same standards oftentimes as people in terms of justice. It reminds us that uh, sometimes women are victimized and caught in powerful situations. We were at the Global Leadership Summit this week and I remember I was moved by the story of this woman in Africa who determined that in her life and in her responsibilities, in her government, in her nation, that she would never sleep with a man for political purposes. And she paid the price for that somewhat, but she is elevated now to a high place of authority and God is using her in an amazing way because she just was not going to go there. And she was not going to play that game. She was not going to be taken advantage of. It's a story of our lives. 
It's a reminder of the brokenness that happens when we cross lines and boundaries for our own pleasure. Thursday, I'll be joining United Methodist pastors across the state of Missouri for something we do every four years. We, we read and we come together to talk about the devastation of sexual boundaries. So every pastor of every United Methodist Church is required to once again sign a sacred covenant that our actions matter. God redeems the situation, though. And God brings redemption to the lives of people. Think about these four women again. God redeems Tamar from the injustice done to her by Judah giving her children. God redeems Rahab, a harlot and a foreigner, bringing her safety in a new homeland. God redeems Ruth, who's a foreigner without kin, by providing a kinsman. God redeems Bathsheba and David's actions through Solomon's birth. Now think about your life for a little bit right now. Think about your family. Think about what you're going through. Think about the messes that maybe you've helped orchestrate or something is just happening right now. Maybe something in the family tree, something you don't want to look at, something you've had to overcome. And recognize that God is the God who still redeems. And he is the one that calls us by name. We we joined earlier in this song that it's wonderful to call out his name, to praise his name, but something that's even better is when you hear God call out your name. When you hear the God of this universe call your name and says, I'm your redeemer. I claim you. I love you. I know you as my own. Robert Mulholland in his book, The Deeper Journey, tells this story of a modern woman who has been victimized in life. She, she's the daughter of a prostitute. And her birth was uh, from an accident. She was never intended to be here. And so she's raised by her uncle, her aunt, grandparents, sometimes by her mother who's still practicing her trade. She's introduced to a church youth group. God bless church youth groups. And as parents, it's really easy to go along with the culture to think, well, you know, you can be a Christian and not have to hang out with a Christian group. Just like a swimmer's got to show up for swimming practice, a Christian's got to hang out with other Christians, especially during formative years. This woman was introduced to a Christian youth group. She came to know God in a personal way as her savior. She went on to college, she met this guy. They married, they had kids. Everything on the surface seems to be fine. But her life is being devastated by her compulsion because she has to know who her father is. And she spends all kinds of money and all kinds of energy 
on this compulsive idea, who is my father? Her mother doesn't have a clue. And then one day she's standing at the kitchen sink and she's crying out to God, God, who is my father? And in a moment of silence, she hears this voice. I am your father. And the voice is so real that she looks around to see who's there. But there's no one with her. And she hears the voice a second time. I am your father and I have always been your father. And in that moment, she is redeemed. She recognizes that her identity that is that she is a child of God. She is not a mistake. She is not an accident. She has heard God speak her name. And she is his. Have you ever heard God speak your name? You know, really, our salvation happens not fully until we hear him speak our name. We, we hear him name us as his child. And we know that no matter what has happened to us or what's occurred, he has redeemed our life. He's purchased us. We are not that person we thought we were. We're not that old person. And he restores us. When God redeems our life, we're not the person we were before all the crap happened. We're better. God doesn't, when he redeems a marriage, doesn't make a marriage what it was, was before the problem. He makes it better. God takes a person that's been in prison and doesn't restore them to the person they were before they went to prison. He makes them better. And no matter who we are, our hang-ups, our habits, our hurts in life, when we give everything that we are and all to God, he redeems our life. He redeems our life from the pit. And he restores us into the image of the full person that we are created to be in Christ. He's our redeemer. There's some words of scripture I want to share with you from Isaiah chapter 42 and 43. It's a story of redemption. And I think it's a prophecy of Jesus. It's a prophecy of how God is, is going to send the ultimate redeemer to the world in Jesus Christ. Look at these words. Here is my chosen servant whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit on him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He's a God of justice. I love this. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will touch the hurt with gentleness. And so when our life is smoldering like it's almost to go out, he's not going to, he's, he's, he doesn't put out the smoldering candle. When our life is bruised and bent, he, he touches it gently. He will faithfully bring forth justice. 
so do not fear. You ever heard God say that to you? Don't be afraid. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I have called you by name. I am your father. I have always been your father. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. They called him Redeemer. What do you call God? Do you know him as your Redeemer? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for being the perfect picture of this God of redemption that has been redeeming his world from the beginning of time. Thank you for the amazing story of Scripture, but there's really just, just the one story, the story of redemption. Thank you that you buy back our lives. And thank you that your image of our life and what it can become is so much more than we could dream. It's so much more than who we were. It's and thank you, God, that in the times when we've been bruised like a reed or, and our life has almost been snuffed out, that you come and you touch us with gentleness and care. Thank you, for the, thank you, God, that you are the God who restores lives and restores marriages and restores people of all ages. So I pray today that we would hear you speak our name. We would hear you speak our name. I have redeemed you. I claim you. I know you. I love you. Help us, God, to know you as our Redeemer. Amen.